In 2009, Michael Jordan was accepted into the Hall of Fame. I've, um, I wanted to go over that speech and discuss elements of it. Um, so I, I, it's quite a long speech, and so to save you from listening to me go on for too long, I have taken out certain excerpts from that speech. Um, but the ma- vast majority of it I'm going to read out. And I think Michael Jordan's a good example of somebody um, that has a, is quite an authority figure based on what they've done. I mean, we're talking about somebody who is one of the most famous people on earth, um, particularly for me growing up um, in the 1990s, even the 1980s. And because of his success and his drive, he becomes a very strong authority figure on what it takes to succeed. And so I thought he would be a, a good person to, um, to make a, you know, a bit of a case study today. So uh, without further ado, I'll go ahead and read his acceptance speech. And again, please remember, I've taken out excerpts from the speech, but the vast majority of us are there. <clears throat> thank you, thank you. I told all my friends I was just going to come up here and say thank you and walk off. I can't. There's no way. I've got too many people I've got to thank. I'll just stop straight off the bat because when people start a talk like that, what they're usually saying is, I know the expectation for a speech is low, and I agree, but despite that being true, um, that you and I both know the protocol is I'm supposed to get up here, say a few words and get down, I've just got, I can't do that because I've got something very important to share. So he's, he's putting everybody on notice and making their ears prick up by saying he's got something important to say. Carry on. In all the videos, you never just saw me. You saw Scottie Pippen, every championship I won. And while it starts with my parents, you guys see all the highlights. What, it's, what is it about me that you guys don't know? Well, I've got two brothers, James and Larry. They're 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five in height. They gave me all I could ever ask for as a big brother in terms of competition. You know, you would think my brother Larry is an ideal situation where big things come in small packages. The dude fought me every single day. And to the extent that my mother used to come out and make us come in because we were fighting way too much. And my older brother was always gone. He served in the army for 31 years. And the competition didn't stop there. My sister, who is one year younger than me, Raz, never wanted to be home by herself. She took classes, extra classes, to graduate from high school with me, to go to the University of North Carolina with me, to graduate prior than me. And you guys sit there asking, where is my competition or where did my competitive nature come from? It came from them. It came from my older sister, who's not here today, and my father, who's not here today. Obviously, he's with us all. He's with us in all of us. I mean, uh, my competitive nature has gone a long way from the first time I picked up any sport. Baseball, football, ran track, basketball, anything to miss a class I played in. So they started the fire in me. That fire started with my parents. I'll just pause there a sec. I didn't know all that stuff about his family, and it's it's fairly pertinent really and we often hear about the competitive nature of great achievers just like Michael Jordan um, then we look at people and we think you know how do I emulate that kind of drive or competitiveness it's clear with Jordan that he had a spark and the people around him simply just fanned that spark it was there they simply helped create an environment for that fire to grow and it, it surely grew I'll carry on and as I moved on in my career, people added wood to that fire. Coach Smith, you know what else can I say about him? 
You know, he's a legendary he's legendary in the game of coaching. And then there's Leroy Smith. Now you guys think that's a myth. Leroy, Leroy Smith was a guy when I got cut, he made the team on the varsity team and he's here tonight. He's still the same six seven guy. He's not any bigger, probably his game is about the same. But he started the whole process with me because when he made the team and I didn't, I wanted to prove not just to Leroy Smith, not just to myself, but to the coach to pick Leroy over me. I wanted to make sure you understood. You made a mistake, dude. <laughs> um, he's a savage, isn't he? Michael's <laughs> such a straight-up savage. He gets away with it because he, he's just so good um, on the court. Anyway, this is where we get into some insight into what drove him day to day. You know, like when he needed a pickup, when he was tired or feeling uninspired, he's going all the way back to his varsity team. Just think about that. This is insane. Proving that you are wrong to not give me the opportunity. Also, one of the fascinating things about Jordan is that he kind of comes off as a bit of a jerk uh, when, he's in that, <clears throat> when he's in that competitive mood. Um, but despite the fact that he is a little bit like that, it's almost endearing char- characteristic um, about Jordan. And I think I put that down to one thing, and that's genuine. He's, he's genuine. And I think there's a good lesson there. Um, if you're genuine and you're speaking or in any other walk of life, um, even if you think people won't accept it, you seem, they seem to do the opposite. They do seem to accept it. You'll be received. And Michael Jordan is evidence of that. We'll carry on. And then there's Buzz Peterson, my roommate. Now, when I first met Buzz, all I heard about was this kid from Asheville, North Carolina, who's the player of the year. And I'm thinking, well, he ain't never played against me yet. So how did he become the player of the year? Is that some type of media exposure? You know, I came from Wimbledon. You know, we had two channels, Channel ABC and Channel NBC. That was it. I never saw NBA sports at all when I grew up. We didn't have CBS affiliation in North Carolina Carolina and Wimbledon. So Buzz Peterson became a dot on my board. (laughs) And when I got the chance to meet Buzz Peterson on the basketball court or in person... Buzz was a great person. It wasn't a fault of his. It was just of my competitive nature. I didn't think that he could beat me or he was better than me as a basketball player. And he became my roommate. And from that point on, he became a vocal point. Not knowingly. He didn't know it, but he did. And Coach Smith, the day that he was on the Sports Illustrated and he named four starters and he didn't name me, that burned me up because I thought I belonged on that Sports Illustrated. Now, he had his own vision about giving a freshman that exposure, and I totally understand that. But from a basketball sense, I deserve to be on that Sports Illustrated, and he understands that. And it didn't stop there. You know, my competitive nature went right into the pros. I got to the Bulls, which I was very proud that at that time, Jerry Rice on the team, it was another organization, and Rob Thorne drafted me. Kevin Lockyer was my first coach. Kevin used to take practices and put me in the starting five and he'd make it a competitive thing where the losing team would have to run. So now I'm on the winning team and halfway in the game, halfway in the situation, he would switch me to the losing team. So I take that as a competitive thing of you trying to test me. And nine times out of ten, the second team would come back and win, no matter what he did. So I appreciate Kevin Lockie for giving me that challenge. You know, providing that type of fire within me. He threw another log on that fire. There's just so much to digest in all that. You know, it, it really is a 
good case study. But the thing about competitive nature is, <clears throat> for a lot of people, it's really hard to hold on to that for too many, thi- you know, too many things because what you're doing is actually you're putting quite a lot of pressure on yourself. I mean, when you close your eyes, like if you close your eyes and try to envision what you'd rather be doing, um, you know, if you did that now, it'd probably be some carefree scenario for most of us. You know, like if you close your eyes, you'd probably think of a holiday with friends or family or, or whatever, but you're not stressing them up beating somebody. Jordan has focused a lot on competition, not just on the basketball court, but off the court also. How much was that necessary for him to reach the levels he reached? Ego, although not something we teach our kids to seek for. You know, you don't every night tell them, now make sure you have a big ego, son. You know, you're not doing that. But, you know, what does it give you? It gives you drive. And can that be replaced with something else? I'm not sure. I'll leave that up to you guys. Okay, we'll carry on. Jerry, I mean, what else can I say? The next year I came back, I broke my foot and I was out for 65 games. And when I came back, I wanted to play. You know, he and the doctors came up with this whole theory that you can only play seven minutes a game. But I'm practicing two hours a day. I'm saying, well, I don't think, I don't agree with that math, you know. And back then it was about whoever the worst record got the most balls and the ping pong balls. And, you know, you can decide what pick you're going to have. But I didn't care about that. I just wanted to win. I wanted to make the playoffs, you know. I wanted to keep the energy going in Chicago. So I had to go into his office and sit down with him and say, Jerry, you know how I feel I should play more than 14 minutes. I've been practicing two hours. And he said, MJ, I think I have to protect the long-term investment that we've invested in you. And I said, Jerry, I, I really think I should be able to play. And he said, let me ask you this. If you had a headache, and you know at that time it was about a 10% chance that I could re-injure my ankle or my foot. And he said, if you had a headache and you got 10 tablets and one of them is coated with cyanide, would you take the tablet? And I looked at him and I said, how bad is the headache? Depend on how bad the headache. Jerry looked, Jerry looked at me and said, yeah, okay, I guess that's a good answer. You can go back and play. And he let me go back and play. Um, that's a cool story. But another thing that I find interesting here is his answer gives us insight into his mind. I mean, depends on how bad the headache is. You know, like, in other words... He is so focused, he's laser focused on his goal of success. It's not a safety first pursuit. It doesn't mean he's just going to run on a broken foot, but understanding the, the risk is low and the fact that he understands his own body, well, he wants to take on the risk and pursue the greater goal in his mind at whatever that cost is or risk. I'll carry on. Obviously, you see my kids, Jeffrey, Marcus, Jasmine. I love you guys. I think you guys represent a lot of me. A lot of different personalities. Your mum, you represent them as well. You know, I think that you guys have a heavy burden. I wouldn't want to be you guys if I had to because of all the expectations that you have to deal with. I mean, look around you. They're charging a thousand bucks a ticket for this whole event. It used to be 200 bucks, but I paid it, you know. I had no choice. I had a lot of family and a lot of friends I had to bring in. So thank you, Hall of Fame, for raising ticket prizes, I guess. But you guys, I love you guys. You guys, just so you know, You've got a whole host of people supporting you, family, friends, people that you don't know, relatives coming out of the woodwork, you know, no matter how you look at it. But I think we taught you right. Your mum and I, we taught you, and hopefully you can make the right decisions when the time comes. <clears throat> Just quit s- 
you know, pause, Jordan actually touches on the weight of expectation that his kids have to face. And I think we've all felt that feeling. Um, in giving a speech, you have that feeling before you, you know, entertain that process. But it's an interesting expe- point, expectation, because it's completely intangible. You know, if you so choose, you can remove it. It's, it's, it's not actually a thing. But despite this, if your parent, or sibling, friends, partner, etc. is of a certain status, or there's a big event, there can be a certain expectation by others that you should be cut from that same cloth or you should give a good performance. And only you can buy into it. It's a choice that we all make. Um, but Jordan here is pointing out that they've made that choice, that it's there. And I imagine it'd be hard to overlook. We'll carry on. My mom, what else can I say about my mom? My mom, my mom never stays still. You think I'm busy? She's always on the go. And without her, she's a rock. She's unbelievable. Right now, she takes over two jobs. She's an unbelievable woman. If I've, ever, if I've got anybody that's nagging me each and every day, it is her. And she constantly keeps me focused on the good things about life. You know how people perceive you, how you respect them. You know what's good for the kids, what's good for you how you are perceived publicly, take a pause and think about the things that you do. And that all came from my parents. You know, it came from my mom. And she's still at this stage. I'm 46 years old. She's still parenting me today. And that's the good thing about that lady. I love her to death. I love her to death. I have to comment on that. I mean, it's just the power of a good parent and the role model. And he seems to have, he focuses a lot on that role. And it's interesting that he notes that she was busy and active as an important trait. So what does that mean? I mean, what's it saying? If, if you want something done, give it to a busy person, right? Well, she got something pretty amazing done in raising that child, at least coming from a success point of view. I'll carry on. And I'm going to thank a couple of people that you guys probably wouldn't even think that I would thank. Isaiah Thomas, Magic Johnson, George Jervin. Now, they say it was so-called freeze out in my rookie season. I wouldn't have never guessed, but you guys gave me the motivation to say, you know what, evidently, I haven't proved enough to these guys. I've got to prove to them that I deserve what I've gotten on this level. And no matter what people may have said, if it was a rumor, I never look at, took it as truth. But you guys never froze me out because I was just happy to be there, no matter how you look at it. And from that point forward, I wanted to prove to you, Magic, Larry, George, everybody, that I deserve to be on this level just as much as everybody else. And hopefully over the period of my career, I've done that, without a doubt. You know, even in the Detroit years, we've done that. Phil Jackson, Phil Jackson is, to me, he's a professional Dean Smith. He challenged me mentally, not just physically. You know, he understood the game, along with Tex Winter. They taught me a lot about basketball game, Tex being the specialist. You know, I could never please Tex, and I love Tex. Tex is not here, but I know he's here in spirit. I can remember a game coming off the basketball court, and we were down, I don't know, 5, 10 points, and I go off for about 25 points, and we come back and win the game. And we're walking off the floor, and Tex look at me and says, you know, there's no I in team. And I said, Tex, there's not. There's not an I in team, but there's an I in win. <laughs> I think he got my message. I don't want anything to win, you know. If that means we play the team format, we win. If that means I have to do whatever I have to do, we're going to win no matter how you look at it. <laughs> I'll pause again. Whatever it takes to win is the point, right? 
In other words, Jordan's happy to follow the team structures and be a team guy. Unless it's not working in a particular game or situation, then he's going to do whatever he has to do. It's clear that, according to Jordan, that you have to break the rules sometimes um, to gain a victory. In sports and in business, I've always found that the very best teams seem to have a plan, but also manage to play what's in front of them. And Jordan was the king of that. He'll just take guys on. I'll keep going. And when we had all those media naysayers, oh, scoring champion can't win an NBA title, or you're not as good as Magic Johnson, you're not as good as Larry Bird, you're good, but you're not as good as those guys. You know, I had to listen to all this. And that put so much wool on that fire that it kept me each and every day trying to get better as a basketball player. Now, I'm not saying that they were wrong. I may have looked at it from a different perspective. But at the same time, as a basketball player, I'm trying to become the best that I can. You know, and for someone like me who achieved a lot over the course of my career, you look for any kind of messages that people may say or do to get you motivated to play the game of basketball at the highest level because that is when I feel like I excel at my best. And my last example of that, and the last one that you guys have probably seen, I hate to do it to him, but he's such a nice guy. And uh, when I first met Brian Russell, John will remember this, I was in Chicago in 1994. I was working out for the for baseball and they came down for a workout and shoot around and I came over to say hello and at this time I had no thoughts of coming back and playing the game of basketball and Brian Russell came over to me and said you know what man why'd you quit why'd you quit you know I could guard you if I ever see you in a pair of shorts if I ever see you in a pair of shorts remember this John so when I did decide to come back in 1995 and then we played Utah in 96 I'm at the center circle and Brian Russell is sitting next to me and I look over at Brian and said, do you remember the conversation we made in 1994? Or when you, I think I can guard you, I can shut you down, I would love to play against you. Were you about to get your chance? And believe me, ever since that day, he got his chance. I don't know how succeeding he was, but I think he had his chance. And believe me, I relished on that point, and from this day forward, if I ever see him in shorts, I'm coming at him. <laughs> oh, I've got to pause. It's just another example of his competitive nature and what he used to get his edges. He was always looking for an edge. Um, and the fact that he remembered that, I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, he just uses a few. I mean, the story about Brian Russell is hilarious, and I bet he was half joking when he said that to Jordan. You know, it's probably in jest, and he's just, you know, and Jordan just said, nah, that's going to be my fuel. All right, we'll keep going. I know you guys got to go. I know I've been up here a lot longer than I told my friends I was going to be up here. I cried. I was supposed to go up here and say thank you and walk off. I didn't even do that. So uh, as I close, the game of basketball has been everything to me. My refuge, my place I've always gone when I needed to find comfort and peace. It's been a source of intense pain and a source of... M- most intense feelings of joy and satisfaction and one that can that no one can ever imagine it's been a relationship that has evolved over time and given me the greatest respect and love for the game it has provided me with a platform to share my passion with millions in a way i neither expected nor could i have imagined in my career i hope that it's given the millions of people that i've touched the optimism and the the optimism and desire to achieve their goals through hard work, perseverance, and positive attitude. Although I'm recognized with this tremendous honor of being the Basketball Hall of Fame, 
I don't look at this moment as a defining end to my relationship with the game of basketball. It's simply a continuation of something that I started a long time ago. One day you might look up and see me playing the game at 50. Oh, don't laugh. Never say never. Because limits, like fears, are often just an illusion. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. He summed that up pretty nicely, actually. Um, I think this is the part of the speech that really shows his sincerity and gratitude and the feeling. And I think with every good speech, there has to be some feeling in it. And there's feeling all through this, but this one's a little bit more raw, I suppose, this paragraph than all the other stuff. Um, you you kind of see his human size. And he says something very profound at the end as well. And a lot of that was profound, but the line that stood out to me was... Um, limits like fears are often just an illusion. And um, I'm not sure anyone else could have delivered that line and have it be received and believed the way Jordan delivers it because of who he is and what he represents and what he's achieved. And, you know, I think um, as people, it's nice to believe that, that limits and fears are often just an illusion. And... Um, Michael Jordan, I think, well, if anyone's, like I said, if anyone's going to say a line like that, it should be someone like him. And so sometimes in these speeches, people say stuff, but we know that that is a very genuine thing for Michael Jordan to say. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed this. Um, I certainly enjoyed listening to the speech of Michael Jordan. He's, he's given a few over the years, but I really enjoyed this. Hope you have a, a good one, and we'll look forward to the coming back on here next time. Speak soon. Bye.